0: Hey there church family. Hope you guys are all doing well. This is take three of this message this morning. Uh, you guys get the clean and uh, cut down version, polished version. Uh, take one for me, uh, my, one of my to remain nameless children came in because she needed some help with her makeup. So uh, take two, um, got a little tickle in my throat. So uh, now I have my water. And so hopefully now take three we'll be able to get through without the sky falling down or something like that um, but really I hope you guys are doing well I know I'm doing well I know that uh, it's a it's a challenging time to find time uh, just to, to be refreshed and you know I hope that you guys are, are able to find that I hope that you guys are feeling encouraged and you're not feeling distant I hope that you guys are are feeling rested and you're not feeling anxious Um I hope that you found a lot of time during during this to uh, to spend time with Jesus. You know, I was encouraged this week by a student who was telling me that he uh, feels closer to God right now uh, in a a new and fresh way than he has before because he has so much time and he's been really taking advantage of that time to be in God's Word, to listen to podcasts, and uh, it's just so encouraging to me to hear that. And you know, I love that. I love hearing that people are really taking this opportunity to uh, to better themselves spiritually and to grow closer to God. I love that. You know it's easy in this time as the hours just kind of pass us by to uh, to be found wanting. You know we uh, we want our freedoms. We um, you know we we want to come and go as we please, where we please, with whom we please. We uh, you know we we may want a specific dish from a specific restaurant that you know we didn't even know that we missed so much. You know we uh, in our nature as humans we are. We're just a desire factory. We are we are churning out desires all the time, and and that's okay. It's it's okay to have desires. It's okay to have to have wants to want things, um, but it can also be kind of dangerous when those desires are are left unchecked, and um, sometimes they can actually destroy us. There's a lot of desires that I have. I mean, I would love to have a Jeep Wrangler. I'd love to have a. A chocolate lab puppy with baby blue eyes. Oh, I'd love to have a puppy like that. Um, you know, I, I would love, I would love to have a, a 1986 Michael Jordan Fleer rookie card. Probably never going to happen, but I'd love that. It's a desire. And those are okay. It's okay to have those kind of desires. But um, those desires can can become unhealthy. And uh, that's where sin can sometimes enter the picture. And we're going to see that a little bit here in James chapter four. So if you guys have your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to James chapter four, and uh, we're going to be in verses one through ten. But I actually want to go back a little bit and and pick up kind of where where Matt talked to us last week at the end of chapter three, because you know when when James wrote this letter, it would have flowed nicely, very fluidly all the way throughout. You know we have our neat chapter breaks and our section titles, and we know now thematically kind of where things are going. And um, but when James wrote this, it was it was just one fluid letter, and so. The end of chapter three actually flows very nicely into chapter four. So I want to pick up in chapter three and I want to read down through uh, 410, which is where we're going to be this morning. And we'll see why, why I say that and why it kind of flows nicely together. So let's go ahead and read uh, James chapter three verses 13. And we're going to go through James chapter four, verse 10. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, By those who make peace. Chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people! Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now we have in this passage believers that are are quarreling and fighting about something. Now it, it doesn't specify what they're fighting about. But the important thing to note is that these are believers that are fighting amongst themselves. And here's the sad reality of this passage is that this happens in churches all over America, all over the world. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's good that comes from disagreements, from differing opinions. We want that. There's, there's health to that. There's good dialogue that can take place. But when we allow Satan to have a foothold in our lives and therefore in our disagreements, it can absolutely cripple a church's effectiveness for, for years to come. And that's an absolute tragedy. Now, the Greek word here for, um, for fight and for quarrel, it's two different words. The Greek word for fight, polemos, actually refers to a, a physical battle which um, would would then kind of give us the picture of, of a violent image, like you're you're actually engaged in a battle physically with somebody. And that word quarrel, <coughs> excuse me, uh, actually is more to do with a, a verbal battle. So one that doesn't have a material weapon, but one that is fought with words. And so you have the physical side of it, and you have the verbal side of it. And the whole point is that James is trying to just kind of make it a, an absolute general, like, Here's what we have. It's any kind of fighting and quarreling you can imagine is what's going on and taking place. So he gives us a little bit of insight and and explanation um, in verses 2 through 4a. So I want to kind of reread that and then I want to talk about that briefly. So verse 2 says, You desire and do not have. This is the reason for the quarreling, right? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Which, by the way, when he says you murder, it's not a, an actual act of murder uh, because they would have been executed by the Romans most likely. But if you think about what Jesus said about anger in relate, relation to murder, um, when you're angry in your heart, it's pretty much on the same level uh, sin-wise as as murder. And so there's, a, there's this correlation between anger and, and murder. And so when he's saying that, really it's more to do with the heart. But he says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, uh, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Now, I want to talk about the correlation between desire and the possible conflict that we see here. Again, we don't know exactly what it is, but we can speculate maybe a little bit. It could have been that certain people were not willing to budge on certain issues, and that would stem from a desire to get one's own way. It could have been someone trying to kind of weasel their way into a position of authority, which would have stemmed from a desire for status, for prominence. Could have been someone criticizing someone else. And that comes from a desire to, to make themselves look good. And so you have these things that uh, are conflict that result from a selfish desire. You know, this can bleed into our relationships as well. This isn't just in the church. This can be in our, in our marriage relationships. Right? You, you think about sometimes when we get into a, um, an argument with, uh, with somebody, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe, um, maybe it's just a, a, a different family member, but um, a lot of times those arguments stem from um, wanting to be right, uh, wanting to get even. So we have this selfish desire to want something and, and in turn then uh, sinful side of it is that we, we say harsh things, we say mean things to that person. Um, maybe to a, to a kind of an extreme level, there's infidelity in, in marriage. And that can stem from a desire for selfish pleasure. And so we have these, these desires that when turned into a selfish ambition, um, it, it then becomes hurtful and conflict can arise. And so this is what James is saying. You guys have selfish ambition. There's something that you want that you're willing to walk all over people and hurt people to get it. And uh, And it's a travesty when that happens within the walls of the church. And that's kind of his point. So it's pretty clear, right? Uh, when, when certain things are centered around, around ourselves, it leads, leads to conflict and fighting. And, and there's a big problem here. Um, what he says is that when you live this way, when you have selfish ambitions that create conflict, uh, that selfish desire, that that want for selfish gain is exactly what society is telling you to do, right? It's exactly what the world is telling us to do. So if we're going to live that way, we're essentially buddying up and being friendly to the world, the, the norms of the world. And so he's saying, if you're a friend of the world, if you're doing what, what the world is doing, um, then essentially you, you can't be a friend of God. In fact, he goes so far to say that if you're a friend of the world, if you're living that way and trying to fit in with the world, then you're an enemy of God. Not just that you're not friends with him, but now you're his enemy, and that's pretty serious. Fortunately for us, God is a gracious God, and and He's going to fight for us. And you see, James even says that God offers grace to those who are who are humble, and God offers grace and and continues to offer grace. But you see, we have this battle that is waging within us. Maybe you guys have heard this term, spiritual warfare. I mean, We don't want to minimize that. Listen, spiritual warfare is very, very real. And when we see him in verse seven, say, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil. That's not just, hey, resist the devil, like in your own power, just kind of fight and he's gone. If we just breeze over this verse here and don't really just park on it and and look a little deeper into um, Satan and, and his designs and in how he works and operates and try to understand that on, on a deeper level. If we just breeze by that, then we're going to think that we can just do it ourselves and we can just kind of fight whenever we need to fight and, and then we're good. But we can't do it on our own. We can't do it apart from, from God's help. So I want to kind of park here on verse 7 for a minute. And I want to talk about this idea of, of fighting, resisting, battling, and ultimately then having him, him flee from us. So we have this battle, 1 Peter 5.8, it says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So so Satan, our adversary, it says, is prowling around. He's literally working his way around this earth, looking for somebody to devour. And if you think about our country, and you look at the things that are happening, and without getting into specifics, but it's almost like like Satan is just like baring his teeth and, he, and he's showing us really what, what evil looks like. And um, there is a war waging. And it's so important that we are aware of that and that we are constantly daily fighting this battle for the sake of the glory of God and, and his kingdom. So here it is, verse seven again, okay? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This isn't a one-time resistance. This is an ongoing battle. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul encourages the believers to not be outwitted by Satan. But instead, don't be ignorant of his designs. Know his designs. Know how he works. Because if you know his designs and how he works, then you'll be better equipped to resist, to, to fight that battle. I don't want to be ignorant of his designs. And I don't want you to be ignorant of his designs. So I want to talk about that here just for a moment. John Piper preached a sermon and gave 10 different ways that Satan works. And I don't want to give you all 10, um, but I do want to give you six of them with scripture reference, because again, I want us to really understand this a little bit deeper. So number one, um, Satan lies and he's the father of lies. In John eight forty four, 44, it says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. Number two, Satan blinds the minds of the unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In their case, the God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Number three, Satan disguises himself in costumes of light and righteousness. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 through 15, it says, and what, am I, what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Speaking of the apostles and the, and the pastors of that time. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And <laughs> No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Number four, Satan tempts people to sin. Second Corinthians eleven three says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Number five, Satan fights against the plans of missionaries. First Thessalonians two, seventeen through eighteen says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And then number six, Satan accuses Christians before God. In Revelation 12:10, it says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Now hearing all of this, knowing that Satan roams this earth looking for people to devour should add a little bit more weight when James says to resist the devil. If we just breezed past this statement, then again, we're going to minimize it and we're going to believe that we can just do it on our own. The truth of the matter is we can't. Fortunately for us, James offers up a solution in verses 8 through 10. Let's read that again. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So we have five instructions here. Maybe you could pull six, but uh, we're going to go with five. And it's really cool how they kind of all actually lead into each other. Like the first one, because of the first, we're able to then do the second and third. We're able to then do the fourth and then the fifth. And so here's kind of the progression that James lays out for us. Number one, he says, draw near to God, which would mean that you're spending time with him. You're reading, you're praying, listening. You're spending quality time in his presence. And if we do that, then you'll realize how filthy your sin has made you. Which will then make you, number two, cleanse your hands. And number three, purify your hearts. These are actions, right? You cleanse your hands, you purify your hearts. You come before the Lord and you confess your sin, right? So you draw near to him, being his presence, shows you the sin in your life because he is holy. And when we mess up, it reveals, the light shines on our sin. And so we see that, so then we confess that. And in order to do that, we have to be broken over our sin, which is number four. It says to mourn and weep over your sin. So we draw near to God, we cleanse our hearts and uh, we purify our hearts, we cleanse our hands and then we are broken over our sin and that brings us to a place of humility. number five is to be humble before the Lord. So one through five is draw near to God, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, mourn and weep over your sin and humble yourself before the Lord. And how does God res- say, uh, how does it say that God will respond? When we do these things, it says he's going to draw near to you. It says he's going to exalt you and lift you up. And if we live this way, we can, we can circle back then to the beginning of our text. Because when we respond in conflict from a place of humility, drawing near to God and therefore being humble, we respond in conflict completely differently. We respond so differently because it's not about ourselves anymore. It's not about being selfish and having things that we want to gain. <clears throat> so here's the abridged version of this passage that we have this morning. You're fighting because you're selfish. You're selfish because it's in your nature as a human being. And if you continue to live that way, then you're no different than the world that you've been rescued from. If you live that way, you leave room for Satan to gain a foothold in your lives and destroy you and your relationships fight against that. Resist him. And you do this by drawing near to God, by purifying your heart, your mind, your hands. And once there, you will be broken over your sin. You'll mourn and you'll weep, which will lead you to a right understanding of your position before God. And it'll bring you to your knees in humility. And once we're on our knees in humility, in that posture, we will see everyone else. As greater than ourselves, our selfish desires will fade to the background and we will live in the power of the spirit, seeing a harvest of righteousness by grace, mercy and peace. Let us live as Jesus showed us in Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. God, thanks for this morning. And uh thank you for this word. God, it's so easy in our lives to have to have our our desires turn to sin. So easy to have those selfish ambitions overtake our minds and our hearts, and we hurt people. We we cheat our way to certain positions, we take advantage of certain people, and conflict can arise and what a travesty, God! In your church, the the vessel that you have left to shed light of your gospel on a dark world. What a travesty it is when when the witness of a of a local church is ruined because of conflict between believers. God, Satan loves that. He loves gaining a foothold in our churches, in our lives, and so God, I pray that you would give us the strength to fight against him. God, let us understand and recognize the the power that he holds. Limited power that you've given him, but nonetheless, God, more power than we're able to overcome on our own. God, let us recognize that and let us lean into you and draw close to you because the only way that we can fight and the only way we can see those selfish ambitions uh, decrease and see desire to serve others increase is by drawing near to you. So God, I pray that if we are not near to you, that we would get the things out of the way that we need to get out of the way, that we would confess where we need to confess, that we would purify our hearts, that we would mourn and weep over our sin, that we would humble ourselves before you in your presence, at your feet, so that we would be in a posture of worship, of glorifying you, therefore a posture of of lifting others up as Jesus aimed to do as he came and humbled himself in the most extreme way possible. So God, give us a mind of humility. Give us a mind that is others-minded first, and give us a mind that is for your glory and your kingdom. God, we love you so much. Thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in your word, and uh, God, keep us safe, keep us healthy, and God, I pray for those over the world that are struggling right now, um, that are sick, uh, those that have loved ones that are sick. God, I pray that you would encourage them and show yourself to them, even if they don't know you, and I pray, God, that you would gain glory through what we've been experiencing And what we'll continue to experience in the months to come. We love you so much. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great day.